This is a reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth, than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. The word of the Lord. When God first chose Abraham, Abraham instantly began to be a sojourner, a traveler, a wanderer. But God promised Abraham an inheritance. Specifically, that inheritance was the land. And all of his descendants were to go to that land. Well, eventually, when they had the opportunity, they ended up taking a detour. And for about 40 years, they wandered through the wilderness as they were trying to make their way to the land. God was instructing them as they were going along. He was with them in the wilderness, telling them, that when you get there to the land, you're going to need to be holy. You're gonna to need to be set apart in some way from everybody else in the land. And sure enough, they made it to the land. But they didn't do a great job with that whole holiness bit. And God had warned them, if you can't live in with my kingdom in a holy way, then eventually, you're gonna be taken out of the land. And sure enough, that's what they experienced. They became exiles. They became scattered amongst the nations. 
And in particular, they ended up in Babylon. But God didn't leave them without hope. God never leaves anybody without hope. And he told them, you're going to be in Babylon now, but I will bring you back to the land. In the meantime, keep living holy even in Babylon. Be good citizens there. Well, if you know the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, eventually God did make a way for them to go back to the land. But it's not actually a happy story because only a small portion of them returned to the land. The rest of them had become pretty comfortable with their lifestyle in Babylon. Well, we're starting a new series right now in 1 Peter. And 1 Peter, we're going to see where we're at in Babylon. The the series is called Strangers in a Strange Land. And the title comes from um, uh, Exodus chapter 2 from the King James Bible. Surely thou hast heard of the King James Bible, right? (laughs) Moses has just left Egypt. He arrives in Midian. He marries Zipporah. They have a son named Gershon, which means a foreigner there. And Moses says, I named him that because I'm a stranger in a strange land. Now, this idea of land is really important to the Israelites, right? That was their inheritance. That was their promise. But this idea of being a stranger or a sojourner or or foreigner, that's pretty important to the Israelites as well. It all started with Abram, who was a sojourner. You got Moses, who was a stranger in a strange land. And then eventually, you've got the Israelites, the Israelites who end up as exiles scattered amongst the nations and particularly end up in Babylon, which brings us to 1 Peter. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to open it up to 1 Peter. If you've got a device, you can pull up 1 Peter on that. If you need a Bible, let us know. We will provide one for you. Um, Let these words form you and shape you. Let them form your thoughts and your feelings and even your life and how you live. We're going to be going through 1 Peter for the next six weeks. And I would encourage you, just read through the letter again and again and again in the coming weeks. Meditate on it. It's a rich letter. Some people have said it's the most theological of any of the New Testament books because it teaches us the most about God. And that's an important concept for us to understand. We're going to start at the end, which is where Peter signs off his letter. He signs off saying, verse 13, chapter 5, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. She who is in Babylon is likely the church in Rome. Babylon being another name for what they called Rome at that time. Peter is writing from Rome. And he's writing to, if you look toward the first verses in the book, says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. 
Likely what's happening here is Peter is in Rome. Peter was the apostle to the Gentiles. It's believed that soon after the resurrection, he went out from Jerusalem, traveling around, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And here he is in Rome, and he's writing this letter to people who are from Rome, but who have been forcefully exiled to go into the colonies of Rome in Turkey, specifically in modern day Turkey. So Peter's not in his home area, he's in Babylon. He's in a strange land. And the people he's writing to, they're not where they're from. They've been forced into exile. They're in a strange land as well. All of this that we're gonna see here within this letter here from Peter to these people is that they are in trouble where they are in exile. They are suffering because of their faith in Jesus. They're dealing with persecution because of their faith in Jesus. And Peter is writing to them to encourage them, remain faithful to King Jesus while you're in a strange land while you're in Babylon. And while you remain faithful to Jesus, also live a life that is in line with his kingdom. We're gonna hear about that next week where Denise gets to preach on the passage that says, be holy as I am holy. Have fun with that one, Denise. It's gonna be great. I I know that it will. This is the message to these people Be faithful to Jesus. And the enduring quality of this letter of 1 Peter is that we are strangers living in a strange land. You and I live in Babylon. That is the world that we inhabit, the society we live in, the space, the physical aspects of our lives take place within a kingdom that does not share the same values or have the same rhythms or the same lifestyles as the kingdom of God. And so the message to us is very much the same. As we live this life as strangers in a strange land, we are to remain faithful to our King Jesus. We are to endure suffering, and we are to live our lives in a way that's in line with the kingdom of God and not with the kingdom of Babylon. At the same time, we also have to recognize that in America, we don't suffer persecution like the people who are reading this letter we aren't dealing with the same things. We might deal with some discomfort sometimes, but not the same kind of physical suffering or persecution that the recipients of this letter were enduring. More so, our challenge is going to be to not get too comfortable in Babylon, to not get too enmeshed in the rhythms and the lifestyle and the values of Babylon over against the values of the kingdom of God. And we need to recognize that there are brothers and sisters in the faith, followers of Jesus around the world who very much are suffering for their faith. 
physically. Their families are endangered, they are endangered, their lifestyle is endangered, they're being rejected, they're being ostracized, they're being pushed out because of their faith. And so as a part of our response, every single week during this series, we are gonna be praying for some area of the persecuted church in the world, recognizing that prayer works. We just went through a whole summer of talking about prayer, right? And that we have brothers and sisters that we're united to in the faith that are in trouble, and we want to lift them up in prayer. So each week, we're gonna be praying for a different area during this whole series. All right, let's jump in here. Let's start right at the beginning. First Peter chapter one, verse one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Just a couple of notes here. Elect Exiles scattered are all words that are typically associated with the Israelites. So here Peter is saying, those chosen people, we've always known as chosen as the Israelites, you Gentiles, because he's writing primarily to Gentiles, you actually are the people of God as well. You've been brought into the family. I'm gonna use the same language that we would for the Israelites as for you, because you are part of that family. And notice also how he's got this, the Trinity here, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father who has foreknowledge and who has chosen. The Spirit who is sanctifying, who is making us holy, who is setting us apart. And Jesus who has sprinkled us with his blood. And what we're going to end up seeing is really giving us new life through the resurrection. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. We've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter here is talking to these people who are in trouble and he's drawing their attention towards something that is future. To his salvation, he says, that is going to be revealed as in it is not fully revealed yet. But the salvation is really necessary Sometimes we maybe think about salvation just in terms of like uh, the baptisms that happened here last week. Someone is baptized, they have salvation, they're looking forward to something in heaven in the future. But salvation starts now, and the people who are receiving this letter, they are in dire need of salvation, physical rescue. They need to be rescued from their circumstances. So the word of salvation that they're longing for must be hitting home for them. They want that salvation. And Peter says that they have an inheritance. It's an inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, and never fade. Or as one uh, scholar put it, it uh, it is untouched by death, untainted by evil, and unhindered by time. 
If you think about the inheritance that Israel had in the land, it did perish. It was conquered. Much of it was destroyed. And you think it was tainted by evil, by pretty much everyone who ever went through that land. And eventually, it even faded away in significance for some of the Israelites who stayed in Babylon. The inheritance that God offers through Jesus will never perish or spoil or fade. It's a far greater inheritance because it's not associated with land. It's associated with something that's far greater and that's kept in heaven for us. Now, one of these days, heaven and earth are going to come together and basically heaven is going, or earth is going to be like heaven. But until then, we have to imagine that God is keeping this inheritance secure for us. Which is really important, because I don't know about you, but do you ever feel like you're, you're diminishing and not increasing? Maybe loved ones are passing away. Maybe your body isn't working for you the way that you want it to. Maybe you're constantly struggling with money. You feel like everything is declining rather than increasing for you. That's because we were never meant to live in full abundance in this kingdom. We've got an inheritance that's waiting for us that's far greater than anything that we can experience in this world. And that's a lot of hope that we have and hope that we have to hang on to. And if you think about the recipients of this letter who are undergoing trials of various kinds, Peter says, they need hope. They need some real hope. They need the kind of hope that's gonna be living hope. And that word for hope, it's living hope that is ongoing. And the way the Greek is phrased, it's not something that was hope or just is in a moment or it's something that's just out there in the future. It's a living, ongoing hope. And the reason why we have a living, ongoing hope is because it's tied directly to the resurrection. Peter says that we have this hope through the resurrection. The resurrection isn't death, it isn't decay, it isn't decline. The resurrection is life. It is new life for Jesus and for all of us who follow after. And because of the resurrection, we can have a living hope. Now, sometimes we need hope in the moment, and sometimes we need living hope. Uh, my wife, Steph, and I, we had a chance uh, several years back to go to Pakistan. We went to Pakistan for two months. Got a couple of pictures here. There we are. Um, what are you laughing at? <laughs> <laughs> at that last picture, we were at an elevation higher than the top of Mount Hood, working with a shepherd people uh, who are going there to graze their flocks. And then the next one there, that's where I won the beard contest in Pakistan. It was a joyful moment for me. You can see it in my face at that time. <laughs> Pakistan was amazing, uh, and we really felt called to go to Pakistan, and it was a, at least a year of preparation and prayer and planning to get there. 
Uh, we were so excited we had done all these things to get ourselves ready for that two-month adventure in Pakistan. And we went to the airport after all the things that we had done to prepare, and we're going through security. And it's at that point that I realized this newly married couple here, relatively newly married, that I had booked the tickets under my wife's married name, and her passport was under her maiden name. So we go through security, we talk to the security guard, and finally the TSA, they're like, look, we, we'll let you through security. The gate agent might be able to help you. Go to the gate agent. All right. There's a little bit of hope that we had in the moment. So we went to the gate agent. The gate agent was like, nope, <laughs> you're not going anywhere. Uh, she's like, you'd have to show evidence that this name change actually happened, that you are married. Yes, okay, great. We will arrange through some really difficult circumstances right now to have our marriage license faxed to Washington, D.C., which is our next stop off on this trip, if you just let us on this plane. Okay, fine, I'll let you on this plane as long as that marriage license arrives in Washington, D.C., because they will never let you out of the country without that documentation. All right, another bit of hope. So we held on there. We made it to D.C., and thanks to my brother-in-law, that marriage certificate arrived, and it was complicated, and then complicated again at the next stop and the next stop, but eventually, we actually made it to Pakistan. We felt like God was really in that, that he brought us to that place. But at the same time, even though we had hope in God to take us there, we also had a lot of grit and determination, and we put a lot of work into it. We made a lot of phone calls, and we really tried to be very convincing and sweet and nice to everybody that we interacted with. That's one kind of hope, but this kind of hope that Peter is talking about has nothing to do with grit or determination or effort or anything like that. It is about the resurrection from the dead. And I don't know about you, but I don't, it doesn't matter how much grit I have, I'm not raising anybody from the dead. We just had a memorial last weekend for both of Steph's grandparents. It was a joint memorial service. Uh, for these two grandparents who were in their 90s and just spending time with them toward the end of their lives or like I have for many other people in pastoral ministry over the years in hospice or in the hospital with critical injuries or just reaching the end of life. When a person dies, there's nothing I can do for them at all. But there is something that God can do and he shows it by demonstrating his power by raising Jesus from the dead. And then we all get to experience that as well. Paul, a contemporary of Peter, wrote this in 1 Corinthians. He says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first fruits because there are other fruits. We're all the fruits who are gonna be following up after Jesus. We're all gonna be raised from the dead, everyone who is in Christ, which is remarkable if you really think about it. Tim Keller, he said that uh, the resurrection isn't just some incredible magic trick, it's an invasion. And I would add that it is an invasion of Babylon. 
It is coming into the values and the kingdoms of this world that are fraught with death and decay and turning that all upside down and bringing life, new life, with a living hope that nothing else can produce. There is no hope like the hope of being able to overcome our greatest enemy of death. And God has done that through Jesus. Let's keep reading here. Verse six. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer for a little while, oh, you may have had to suffer, sorry, for for grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an, with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. A couple of notes here. Uh, that genuineness of faith, genuineness, and then refined for fire with the gold, those are cognate words in Greek. They're basically the same root word of being tested, being proven in some way. So the testing of your faith is like the testing of gold. Gold eventually will perish, but the testing of your faith will produce something that won't perish, and that's the inheritance that God is holding for you. The other thing that's interesting here is that Paul sa- or Peter says that this is gonna result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's praise, honor, and glory for those who are reading this letter. Later on, it's gonna be praise, honor, and glory for God himself. But here, it's for those people reading the letter. And if you think about their circumstances, where they are being rejected in society, they're suffering because of their faith, they're being ousted within their communities, they're receiving everything but praise, glory, and honor. But Peter says, you will. You will receive praise, glory, and honor, regardless of what you're experiencing in this life. He also says here that they've got Lots of joy. He says that they are, they, are, they are greatly rejoicing and that they're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, joy is a big theme in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, but this particular word that's being used in both of these instances is a rare word. It's not a common word in the Bible, or certainly not the most common used for joy. And this one is one that is exceeding. It's an abundant joy. It's like an overflowing joy to the point of actually being verbally expressed or bodily expressed. So that means it's a visible joy. People can see that kind of joy on the people who are experiencing it. And that joy comes through faith. Peter mentions the word faith or trust three times in just these few verses that I just read. It all comes down to our trust and our faith in God and who he is 
in his goodness that will bring about that joy. But why? Why, that, why does that faith or that trust bring about that joy? That trust really comes about when you see here in verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. One of the ways, the primary ways that we as human beings experience joy is through connected relationships with other people. When we have secure attachments with other people, we are more likely to experience joy, especially when we are around those people who we have a secure attachment with and who actually like us in some way. That's what's happening here. These people are being united with God through Jesus and experiencing a love between God and them. They know that they are chosen, they feel secure, in that choosing, and that brings them joy beyond any of the circumstances that they are experiencing. In fact, even in the midst of these terrible circumstances that they're experiencing, their joy is gonna be heightened by it. And, and that's one of the things in the New Testament that, that is talked about often, that uh, persecution, trouble, suffering for the name of Jesus actually increases our joy and our blessing. Jesus himself said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. That's that same uncommon word for joy Jesus is using, the same one as Peter. Because great is your reward in heaven, your inheritance, which won't perish or spoil or fade. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's how the kingdoms of the world always worked. That's how Babylon works, but I'm calling you out of Babylon. When we were in Pakistan, uh, had the privilege of meeting these two guys uh, that we spent a, a whole day, hours, in an apartment uh, in 100 degree heat, uh, translating the Bible, parts of the New Testament, into their uh, mother tongue. Uh, they were from a particular people group within Pakistan. And uh, the, the power kept going out while we were doing this. So the lights were going out, the air conditioning was going out. I was just like sitting in a pool of sweat. Uh, but they were happy as clams, translating the word of God at that time but I also just saw that they were joyful people. And that joy, they had come from uh, an Islamic background, when that invaded their lives, they couldn't keep it to themselves. And they were dead set on sharing this gospel message of salvation with their people group and with their family so that their family could experience that same kind of joy. But it came at a cost. They were regularly beaten for their faith, and I'm imagining still are to this day. I went through last night and just searched my email, all the messages regarding them over the years. And it was just message after message of saying, pray for them, their brother is turning against them right now. Pray for them, their whole family is turning against them right now. Pray for them, they were beaten again, there are some broken bones. 
They keep going back because what they're living for, the inheritance, is far greater than anything on this earth. And they just want that joy to be shared with somebody else. That's a powerful thing to be able to have that kind of joy. And it can be had because of these last verses here, starting in verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Here you have, for me, an example of God showing that he knew what was happening from beginning to end. And we're gonna revisit that in a moment. But that is where the hope and the joy can come from in the security that we have in God. Now there's a lot going on in this passage, but those two things keep sticking out. Hope and joy. Hope and joy. How do we cultivate hope and joy in our lives, though? It's necessary, right? I think even more so in our society today, I don't think hope and joy are on the rise. I think they're on the decline. In fact, there's actually data to show that. The National Institute of Health released a study that showed over the last 20 years that deaths of despair, which are deaths by suicide or substance abuse, alcohol or drugs, deaths of despair are on a big incline in the last 20 years. In fact, there was one report that showed that they've doubled in the last 20 years. Hope and joy don't come naturally within the kingdom of Babylon. It's a hard life to live sometimes. It's easy to get into a point of despair. Let me just tell you, I know that. I've experienced that in years past for me of being at a point of despair. How am I ever gonna get through this? How can I carry on beyond this? Or how am I going to experience the joy that God has offered to me? The truth is, all of us, based on our circumstances in life and our temperament, personality, all that, have different levels of capacity for hope and joy. God offers the same hope and joy to all of us, and we have a certain level of capacity to really experience that. But we can all increase our capacity to experience hope and joy. Sometimes the things that have happened to us in this kingdom of Babylon just make it hard to really see how good God is, how much he loves you, how secure we are in him, and how the things of this world are not the ultimate things, that there's a greater inheritance to come. We cultivate those things mostly by one, 
leaning into the hard things, not away from them. That's actually how we experience more hope. We get through hard things and recognize God was with us through the hard things, that he actually was caring for us even in the midst of it. That gives us more hope for the future. But two is to get back to this idea of connected relationships. We need to experience that connection with God to know that he loves us and likes us because that's gonna be the foundation of joy that we have. And it's really important for us to have that foundation of hope and joy because next week, Denise is gonna be a huge downer with being holy. Just joking, Denise. <laughs> Denise is not gonna be a downer at all. <laughs> but it is totally important for us to have a very firm foundation. <laughs> I can't believe I set you up like that. It just came out of my mouth. No filter there for a moment, sorry. We've got to have that foundation of hope and joy to hear that message of be holy as I am holy. Because otherwise we're going to hear, all right, I just need to do it to be approved. And that's not what's happening. God says you're chosen, you're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You are a saint. You are a holy one. Now walk in it. That's next week. For right now, we need to cultivate that hope and that joy. These are lifelong things that we need to engage in. But I'm gonna stop right now for us to have one practice around it. Some of y'all just, you're not gonna like this, and I'm sorry. <laughs> That's, can't please everybody in the room. I'm gonna ask you and invite you to close your eyes. Try to still your body and your mind a little bit. I want you to try in a brief period of time here to bring up a memory that you have, no matter how simple or significant, of when you felt loved by God or maybe loved by another, but recognized that God was there and a part of it. Not just the knowledge of God's love, but a memory that brings up a feeling of it for you, where you felt like God was there caring for you. Maybe it was just the warmth of his presence Maybe it was an answered prayer that made you recognize that he was watching over you. Maybe it was a word that just came through somebody else that you really needed to hear in that moment. Just sit in that feeling for a little bit. Let that feeling build in you and see if you can actually even picture in some way God smiling at you as you have that feeling. 
going through a practice like that actually builds capacity in our humanity to be able to experience hope and joy. It actually rewires our brain to be able to connect joy with God when we've seen him in our lives in some way. Because we don't experience it all the time, right? So we need to revisit those memories. I would encourage you to compile a list of those memories when you've experienced the love of God and sit with them for a while, especially when you are experiencing the harder things in life. We may not experience a whole lot of physical persecution here. The interesting thing, though, is that what uh, uh, Peter uses for the word grief here, lupeo, it actually has more to do with emotional grief, which we probably connect to a lot better in our society than physical grief or suffering at the hands of somebody else. All of those things are at play there. Whatever the experience is, there is hope and there is joy in it. And going back then to those final verses that I read, that's a trusted outcome that we have. God spoke through the prophets long ago, predicted the sufferings of the Messiah. Yes, he suffered too. He can identify with us in our suffering, which should give us hope for the future. If he knew that was going to happen, he knows what the outcome is going to be. He knows what your experiences are in life. He hasn't abandoned you through them, but there is a, uh, an experience that we have in going through them that actually refines and forms and shapes us if we can remain faithful to Jesus through it, if we can hold on to a living hope and the overwhelming joy that God provides because of the love and the grace that he pours out on us each day. Things may not get easier. I doubt they got easier for the recipients of this letter. I doubt they got easier through the rest of their lives. But their life here in Babylon wasn't the end. They had an inheritance that was far greater that they were looking forward to. God knows what you're experiencing. God has chosen you, loves you through it. Hold on to hope. Hold on to joy. And each day, be faithful to Jesus in the midst of it. Bringing your life into alignment with the kingdom of God and not the kingdoms of Babylon. There is real suffering in the world because of the name of Jesus. Um, the, there's an there's a organization, Open Doors, I thought about, had to think about there for a second. They uh, think about 360 million Christians around the world right now are suffering because of the name of Jesus. And in an email that's going to come out this week, our regular mu musing email, we're going to send out a video from Open Doors 
that's going to talk about that and in particular is going to highlight the 10 uh, top 10 worst areas of persecution in the world that the church is experiencing. As I said earlier, our response each week here is going to be to pray for one of those areas. Today, we're going to pray for number seven on the list, which is Pakistan, just because I have a connection to it. The rest of the time, we're going to go in order for the top five Libya, Eritrea, Yemen, Somalia, and North Korea, each one of the weeks. And my encouragement to you is to not only pray in this moment, but pray for that country throughout. There are a lot of resources that can help you with this. In the coming weeks, we'll provide you with a physical resource that you can take home to help you pray. Uh, But you can also go online, go to Open Doors, you can go to Operation World, you can go to Voice of the Martyr. Those are all organizations that will help you to be able to pray for these areas. So here's what I'm going to do right now as we pray for Pakistan. My stories are from several years ago in Pakistan, but even within the last month, within a particular area near Lahore, which is a major city in Pakistan, there were several churches burned to the ground and several homes of Christians that were burned to the ground. Many thousands of Christians were affected by that incident that took place over the course of two weeks. Our brothers and sisters are still suffering there in Pakistan. So we want to pray for them now. I'm going to give some space. So, uh, I didn't, this, you might not like this either. <laughs> it could be totally silent in this room and everybody prays silently. Or every voice in this room could begin praying out loud. Or one or two voices could pray out loud. I'm not going to put any parameters on that at all. We're going to pray for Pakistan, and then I'll close us in prayer before we go to communion. Go ahead and pray. Jesus, you are the head of your church. You are the head of your church here at New Hope. You are the head of your church in Pakistan and all around the world and all through time. Lord Jesus, watch over and protect your church. As Peter wrote, shield them with your power. Pray for our brothers and sisters in Pakistan. May your church there thrive. May it be filled with your Holy Spirit. May new people be knowing your joy and your hope there all the time. 
May your church just burst through the gates of hell. May your kingdom flourish in Pakistan. May you bring peace to that country where there is so much disorder. God, we pray that your church would flourish and grow there. Watch over those who are suffering. Give them hope. Give them joy in the midst of it. We love you. We trust you. Amen.